people see it as such a different way of eating, and I don't think it, it is really. And I guess as a, as a whole, one of the things that I do see athletes that tend to do, they see plant-based foods, let's say vegetables and fruit, as meeting a minimum amount. So, okay, I've had some at dinner. The rest of the time, energy difference that they require is simply met with protein and carb-centric foods. Hello and welcome to The Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. My name is Steph Gaskell. I'm an accredited sports dietitian uh, doing my PhD and some lecturing at Monash University in Melbourne. And I'm joined by my colleague and fellow sports dietitian, I call him now a doctor because he's, I'm very jealous, he's completed his PhD and he's a lecturer at Monash University, Alan McCubbin. How are you, Alan? Good, thanks, Steph. Don't worry, you'll get there. You're on the home stretch now, just about. Mm, we'll almost so turn the corner away. for the home stretch. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you'll, you'll be fine. Um, it's next year sometime, isn't it, for you? Yeah, August. Thankfully, COVID gave me another three months, so, so that's yeah. one good thing out of it. <laughs> mm, well, I don't know if it's prolonged the pain or yeah, yeah, give true. it a breathing room. Probably yeah. a bit of both. Bit of both, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How's your week been? Uh, pretty hectic, actually. We had to um, the Sports Dietitians Australia, which we're both members of, um, have their biannual conference. Um, sorry, biennial conference. Mm. I always get the two confused. Biannual is twice a year. Biannual is every second year, so it's every second year conference. Yeah. Uh, coming up in just a couple of weeks, actually. So um, had to do some recording um, presentation for for them. Uh, as well as some, some teaching bits and pieces and then, of course, kids at home. Um, so, yeah, it was a bit, bit hectic, um, but, yeah, good to, to get that recording done. And um, obviously the, the conference is completely virtual this year, uh, which is good because it gives it a chance for some international people to get involved who, who wouldn't otherwise and, and get to see, you know, your presentations and your work, which is nice. But, you know, it's often the, you know, the highlight for a lot of us uh, within the industry is to catch up with each other and um, you know it's, it's always a, a great vibe at the SDA conference and so that'll be really you know sadly missed this year um, doing it in a virtual format I always enjoy catching up with people from all around the country that uh, I don't get to see in person in any other way shape or form uh, other than this conference so that's yeah it's a bit disappointing but yeah all, all good um, and good to good to see some some research out there. Yeah, really miss the the SDA. Will miss the SDA conference this year. Um, it's it's such a good um, way to network. Um, but like they just all seem like they're our friends. They're so like minded. Um, we all help each other out. Um, there's always you know really new and exciting research um, and and practical info there too. So. Yeah, um, it will be interesting to see how it all pans out um, with this um, online uh, platform, but hopefully it all yeah. goes well. Uh, yeah, and it was meant yeah. to be the 25th birthday party for SDA oh, this year too. Damn. Yeah, damn. so yeah, SDA yeah. was founded in 1996, so it was 25 years this year. Yeah. So yeah, it's a real shame. Yeah, yeah. Well, bigger party for next year. Exactly right. Hopefully all going yep. well. Yeah. Awesome. So um, here at the Long Munch, we we aim to answer, you know, common questions that you as runners, cyclists and triathletes may have um, and you might ask each other 
when you're at training or at the cafe after your training session. Um, and we always have usually a part A, which is usually a chat with a, um, a researcher or it might be a coach um, or sports dietitian. Uh, and then the part B is usually an athlete or that may even be a, a coach um, just to give some more sort of practical insight into that question. Uh, so, Alan, I think we've got some, some shout outs. Yeah, we certainly do. We've been inundated on social media actually in the last week, which has been fantastic. Um, So if you want to get in touch with us for any reason, uh, suggest an episode topic, uh, which we'll come to at the end of this episode specifically, um, you can hit us up at The Long Munch on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. Uh, As several people have this week, Steph, um, firstly on Twitter, um, we had our episode last week uh, with Scotty Hawker where we're talking about sort of low FODMAP diets and I guess how he does that from a practical perspective and and sort of what he went through to sort of figure out that that was an issue for him. Um, And we had a a question come through on on Twitter from Kevin uh, who was asking Scotty uh, about caffeine specifically because we talked about that he'd stopped having coffee before um, sort of I think it was race day, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, before a race. Yeah. Um, but that he was still having plenty of caffeine during the race. Um, and so Kevin was just asking what was he doing for as his source of caffeine instead of coffee. Uh, and I think, Steph, it was mainly gels uh, and possibly even some no-dose tablets, so caffeine tablets as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, yeah, it yeah. was just being a bit more also specific in terms of the amount of, of caffeine um, versus having, having the coffee. Mm, which we spoke about a couple of episodes ago, actually, um, with Chris Irwin and um, also Alistair Donahoe around, you know, the withdrawal from caffeine and whether you have to stop having coffee to get the benefit. But we talked about, I guess, the benefit of sort of very specific dosing because the amount of caffeine in a coffee can vary fivefold from coffee to coffee, even if it's theoretically the same order. Yeah, exactly. And that it was actually a question I got asked some time ago by Scotty who, who thought he needed to withdraw from it. So... Um, yeah, thankfully he, he very likely does not need to so far, we think. Mm. Mm. Yep. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, and then we also had a whole bunch of people contact us via Instagram, Steph. Yeah, we did. We did. Um, so we had, um, yeah, we had Shane Hutton, who's, um, yeah, a good friend of, of both of ours and um, has at least been a sucker for one of uh, my studies. Um, but I'm not sure if he's come to do your five-hour one yet, Alan. He'd actually be a guy that... Well, he's... Yeah. Yeah, he lives down in Tasmania I know, now. but knowing Shane, he he'd... No worries. Travel down for us, I'm sure. Um, so, Scotty... Well, uh, he wouldn't be allowed Shane, back at the moment. Yeah, sorry. In the future, Shane. Um, why not travel back down and, and join us in the lab again? Uh, other sh- shout outs though, so he, he's enjoying, um, enjoying the, the podcast um, and then, yeah, people that, that were also enjoying it was um, we've got Beck who's from my hometown, um, Adelaide. Uh, she's uh, from the BKT Trail running shop um, there. Uh, Alice McNamara, sports um, physician who um, and um, was an elite rower and ultra uh, runner. She's been on our show in episode 18B talking about hypernatremia and medical support, so highly recommend that one. Uh, and then we've had Sylvia uh, enjoying the show and Hayley from Deneen Runners. And then we also had, uh, yeah, Michael um, asking us about gluten 
um, free pasta recommendations. So, yeah, we had had quite a few. Um, so mm. that's really positive. Yeah, lots of love for the the FODMAP topic specifically because all of those were really about that the FODMAP topic and a lot of love for Scotty. Yeah, um, a lot of love. And the, the episode last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, that's um, I guess you know why we encourage people to let us know if there are you know popular questions that you have um, because we'd love to answer them and um, you know FODMAP appeared to be. Um, a popular one, but let us know if there's something else that we're not covering for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and also, uh, as well as social media, obviously, there's the various podcasting platforms that people can listen to this on. So things like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Podbean. Um, and we've had a new five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, which is always nice. Um, we can't thank the person because they're anonymous, uh, but thank you, whoever that was. Uh, and if anyone else wants to, to give us a rating or even a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd certainly really appreciate that as well. Yeah. Let's get um, stuck into it, Alan. I'm excited about this one. I think I'm excited about every episode, obviously, a bit biased there. Um, but um, this man's pretty pretty special to us. He's, I think, been uh, a mentor to us, since, you know, since we were youngins and, and studying um, sports nutrition. He's always been, yeah, just really, really supportive. So I'll let you introduce the, the lovely person that we've got. Yeah, so it's episode 22A today, uh, and our topic is, is plant-based better? Uh, so obviously a lot of interest around this topic. Um, if we go way back to our very first episode of the podcast, it was around sort of low-carb, high-fat diets. Um, and if there's anything that's sort of overtaken that in terms of popularity uh, in endurance sports, it's probably plant-based diets in various shapes and forms. Um, and so to answer that question, we're, we're uh, very privileged to have Associate Professor Greg Cox join us. Um, now, Coxie is an Associate Professor at Bond University up on the Gold Coast. Uh, he's also the nutrition lead for Triathlon Australia. Um, and so essentially I work for him in, in my triathlon role uh, down here in Melbourne, working with the, the Melbourne-based athletes on their high-performance program. But uh, as you said, you know, Coxie's someone that we've both known for probably 15 years or more now. Um, and certainly been a, a great supporter and, and mentor for both of us. Um, I know certainly for me in particular, um, you know, he and I were both on the, the Sports Dietitians Australia board for, for quite a while, and uh, whenever we had catch-ups for that, it was always great to, to pick his brain on, on various things. Uh, and he was also one of the co-supervisors on my PhD as well. So, yeah, very grateful to have Coxie to join us. Um, and, yeah, I've learned so much from him over the years, so it's great that... Uh, we get to, to share that love here on the podcast. And um, the reason that we got Greg to talk about this topic specifically is that not only has he worked with a lot of sort of vegetarian and vegan athletes over the years, um, he, he's vegetarian himself and has gone through sort of different uh, variations on that theme, you know, over, over several years. Um, and sorry, I should just mention before um, Triathlon Australia, Greg Cox was one of the senior sports dietitians at the Australian Institute of Sport. Um, those roles, as they were back then, you know, it's kind of different now in terms of the way that that department's structured. So, um, hence, you know, he works directly for Triathlon Australia now, but he's also done work with the uh, the canoe kayak team as well. Uh, and he was also the um, the Australian Olympic Committee uh, main dietitian for the the Rio Olympic Games in 2016. So he was the main dietitian that was sent over there to to work with the athletes. Um, 
whether it was you know liaising with them about specific requests or you know helping with the the food service side of things and making sure the athletes in the various sports had what they needed when they needed it um yeah he had that experience over there in rio as well yeah yep um and uh he he's a bloody good athlete too you know he was very good in his mm. day wasn't he yeah, yeah, he's been a, um, an age group world champion in, I think, standard distance triathlon mm. over the years. And I think he was even uh, very high. I think he was on the professional circuit for surf lifesaving at one mm. stage as well. Mm. Bit of a show-off, really, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> well, he comes from pedigree. He's, his dad was a very accomplished ah. um, triathlete as well, I believe, yeah. Yeah, there we go. All right. Alan, you just, again... You've like you've got your your arm there on your head. You're not looking happy. You're boiling up inside. Come on, what's going on? Yeah, I mean, there's there, there's topics, Steph, and then there's <laughs> topics. There's those ones that are just you know just irritate you that that little bit, and then there's those ones that just. Uh, again and again and again will come back and people will say things or you see things online or you hear stuff through social media or whatever and you just go oh don't get me started again Steph and I think whenever you look at these sort of specific dietary patterns and we talked obviously earlier you know low carb high fat was episode one of our podcast uh, and then you know plant-based diets here whenever you kind of talk about these uh, you tend to get all sorts of people with all sorts of views coming out of the woodwork mm. to uh, promote or fight against the particular dietary pattern of choice. At the end of the day, as we'll discuss in this podcast, you're vegan or you're not vegan. The difference is a couple of animals, people. Like it's not that big a difference. You know, Greg talked to, talks about that specifically in this podcast. The differences are not that great. The similarities of what you do eat is a lot bigger than the differences of what you don't eat. So, yeah, I mean, obviously there's different reasons that people choose to eat plant-based, you know, vegetarian or vegan diets. Um, and, and they're fine, you know. It could be religious reasons, cultural reasons, ethical reasons, um, you know, some people for, you know, health reasons, whether that's valid or not. You know, we'll talk a bit about that tonight. But I guess what gets to me is the amount of rubbish you see on online about this kind of stuff where people are trying to one-up each other and, you know, it, it's become a sense of identity. What you eat or don't eat has become, you know, this sort of sense of identity of who you are and, you know, there's more important things to life than, you know, worrying about I'm vegan and you're not. Mm. Like, I mean... Sure, you can have you know a sensible discussion about the ethics or the cultural aspects or whatever, yep. but the moral superiority that you see people with—it's mm. just you know whether it's ketogenic or um, plant-based or, or anything in between—it's mm -hmm. just just drives me insane. I don't know about you, Steph, but that yeah really gets under my skin sometimes. Mm. I try to uh, ignore it as much as I can. Yep, 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 exactly. I think, however we eat, you know it. Yeah, we shouldn't in a way be kind of, yeah, like, oh, shoot, Alan, I'm not going to talk to you because you're not, you know, a vegan or vegetarian or following the keto diet. Like um, mm. like we all know in lots of areas we all have different beliefs beliefs and um, and religions, et cetera, but hopefully we all still talk to each other. Um, so, yeah, yeah, good good rant. Um, glad you got that off, off the chest. Um and yeah, you can always see a lot of those um, 
fiery responses and, and rants about those topics on, um, I usually see them a lot on um, Twitter, I think, um, is where I tend to tend to see people going back and forth with those. Yes, I saw one just this morning, actually, when I was scrolling through. Yep. I just thought, am I going to bother reading this and opening up the thread? And I thought, it's not worth no, it. No, you're stuck there for so long because then you just, yeah, you keep going. You're like, stop, don't keep going. And you just do. And it's pointless. Yep. Yeah, you know, I, I remember uh, Tim Crow actually, who was in one of our very early episodes about why nutrition is so confusing. I remember him at a conference saying, you know, online trolls will, um, what was the wording? He said he'll beat you down to their level. No, he'll he'll drag you down to their level and beat you with experience. Mm. So you know, there's just no point engaging yeah. in that sort of rubbish. Yep. But um, anyway, as I said, like there is you know perfectly valid reasons that people choose to yes. eat a vegan diet, and that's fine. Yep. Um, but yeah, just the, the grandstanding that you see online about it is just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's not specific to vegan diets. It's, it can be any diet. Any, anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you, um, you got that off your, off your chest and you've got, yeah, you know, your, your hand off your head now. So that's good. You're looking more relaxed and chilled. And I think we're ready to get stuck into this, uh, episode of, is plant-based better with the uh, one and only Greg Cox? Yeah, awesome. Let's get into it. Let's do it. All right, Greg Cox, welcome to the Long Munch. How are things up there on the Gold Coast? Well, it's um, it's a bit cloudy today, Al, but uh, I guess um, we're, we're still able to venture around the countryside, which is great. I tend to stay pretty local to the postcode um, and everyone else is locked out of Queensland so um, we don't do too much locking in we just of ourselves we just lock out everyone else mate <laughs> and, and is everyone like oh this is great there's no one ruining our place or is it more like we need the tourism dollars or a bit of both uh, I think there seems to be a few tourists about at the moment but um, I think generally Queenslanders are pretty happy to uh, be out and about um, and I think yep. there's a general sense that, you know, we're quite happy to play up here by ourselves. Yep, fair enough. <laughs> um, now, obviously, you're up on the Gold Coast, as we just said. Um, I guess the first thing, you didn't feel the earthquake the other week, did you? No, I did. I, no. I did hear about it, but uh, only through my wife. And she's like, what, what, do you live under a rock? Like, haven't you seen it? <laughs> but I, I rarely follow the news, so... Um, but I did hear about it. I didn't feel it. No, no, I think New South Wales felt it in bits and pieces, but I didn't think it'd get up there. Um, so you obviously work at Bond University, uh, and you also work with is canoe and kayak, isn't it? Well, I've actually uh, earlier this year, uh, I've just uh, finished up working with kayaking. I have worked with them for the last ten years, and. Uh, I continue to work with Triathlon uh, Australia, but with kayaking, it was just too busy trying to juggle a university yep. job and a couple of sports. Um, yep. But had a long time with kayaking and it was like an endurance-based ba- uh, power sport. So it was a fantastic experience. And, uh, and it was actually the first job I ever got in, in, in sports nutrition, well, way back in the 90s and then different times over the last 30 years have worked with kayaking so had the fortunate experience of working with athletes in the 90s 
that were then coaches in the 2000s plus and that had children then competing as well. So it was, uh, it's been a fantastic sort of circle to be involved yeah, in. Yeah, right, circle of life. Mm. All right, well, let's, tell us a bit about your role with Triathlon Australia. I guess that's a bit more closer to home for, for most of our listeners. What, what does your role involve there? So I've been with Triathlon since 2001 while I was working at the Australian Institute of Sport and that role uh, originally worked with the AIS triathlon program and then expanded more broadly uh, into the Triathlon Australia Nutrition Lead. At a, for a period of time, I was a sports science, sports medicine coordinator for Triathlon Australia. Uh, so to coordinate all allied health services um, and performance health services, I guess, into the high performance program. As the nutrition lead, I do um, a bit of face-to-face athlete uh, consultation, I do planning for major events like World Championships and major games, um, and also help support any state-based uh, dietitians that are engaged uh, with the various triathlon programs uh, that are situated throughout the country. Yep, awesome. Um, and as you sort of alluded to before, you know, you've been in the sports nutrition game for, for quite a while now, um, and you know, obviously you know, you've been a competitive athlete yourself. Um, in triathlon. Do you want to tell us a little bit about, I guess, what you've seen as the big changes in sports nutrition over the, the time you've been involved? Wow, that's a that's a pretty significant <laughs> question there, isn't it? That's the whole podcast, probably. I think um, if I reflect on my own practice and particularly looking at an endurance sport like triathlon, one of the things that's probably changed most for me um, is that when I was first involved, uh, there was very much a focus around it for, for athletes wanting or striving to be successful, uh, for them to be a lean athlete. And so, in, in, you know, the pressures placed on the athletes from coaches and staffing, I think, was to um, lose body fat to become leaner. And over the years, what I've experienced is that athletes actually become leaner by increasing their lean mass, uh, not necessarily um, reduce, like with a, uh, a specific focus on reducing body fat. So the strategies that we used to play early on were about trying to reduce body fat. However, you know, over the last 10 years, I think we've been much more uh, mindful of putting strategies in and around an athlete to allow them to absorb the training, which will then drive the physique or the desirable physique um, changes that you're after. By doing that, you know, and you can pr- promote lean mass gains um, with the inherent strength elements that are contained within a triathlon program, the athlete will get leaner by chasing gains in lean body mass, as opposed to uh, putting in strategies that will try to uh, assist them reduce body fat. So that's probably the biggest change that I've seen alongside the idea that nutrition was very much a static um, component of an athlete's meal plan. So if you're an endurance athlete, you ate high carbs. If you were more of a strength-based athlete, you are more protein-centric. Whereas I think the idea of manipulating your macros and even your micros to some extent, you know, more reflective of day-to-day interventions has certainly changed so rather than seeing a dietitian and engaging with them to get a defined meal plan or set of 
uh, guidelines. It's about working more cohesively with a sports nutrition practice uh, practitioner and more regularly in order to facilitate changes that occur over the course of the training week that occur between months and then occur over the course of the year. Mm, cool. Yeah, and I think we spoke about that you know, right back in, in episode two of the podcast, actually, with um, Dr. Sam Impey looking at that sort of periodization, particularly in that case around carbohydrate for um, different sort of training sessions. Uh, and we've actually got our very next podcast after this one coming up. We'll be looking at um, sort of that, that idea around, you know, is leaner necessarily faster? So um, we're going to have a bit of a, a deep dive into that as well, which is great. So the topic today is, is plant-based better. So um, our topic, um, firstly, I guess we need to define what is plant-based um, because I, I think online you can see a lot of arguments about what it is. Um, so how would you define it and the differences between vegetarian, plant-based and vegan? Okay, Steph, now I don't get online all that much. Um, <laughs> So I might be quite ignorant to the general themes that are that are um, that are out there. I guess you know, plant-based in essence to me would be if someone was solely on a plant-based diet, that that style of eating would align itself to ve veganism. Um, whereas vegetarianism is a sort of a broader term that includes um, individuals. And that might in, might include some animal-based sources of foods, uh, and not simply plant-based. So, if you roll back, you watch a little bit. Um, I guess vegan, you know, ex uh, describes a diet where the individual would would exclude all uh, animal products, including dairy, eggs, um, and even things like honey. Uh, people that I've um, known for many years, um, if they're fully committed to being a vegan, they won't use you know leather or wool um, or silk for even. So vegan veganism is um, you know exclusive of all animal foods. And vegetarian, I guess uh, there might be you know there's probably different classes of that, but the, in in terms of vegetarian, they probably avoid all flesh foods, but may consume some animal derived products like eggs and dairy. So like the ovo uh, vegetarian or ovo vegetarian or lacto vegetarian. So that sort of, um, sort of describes the different sort of classifications of vegetarianism. So I think plant-based, if you, you know, to the letter of the law, it would probably be the equivalent. It's the contemporary version, I guess, of veganism, uh, where the individual would exclude all animal-based products. And it, it amazes me how much people kind of hold on to those names and definitions and labels of things. Like it's almost a sense of identity and that, you know, I'm plant-based, it means this. And if you say you're plant-based, but it's not the same as this, well, you're stupid or you're a fool or you don't know what plant-based really is. And they get into arguments online about all this stuff. And it's just like, calm down. It's just a word to describe what you eat. Like, you know, choose choose what you want to eat, but you know, don't get caught up about what the label is for crying out loud. Yeah, I think having been in the circles around veganism for many years, uh, in fact, the f when I was a student, I got asked to do a presentation um, because my interest in sport, and at the time I was um, vegetarian. The 
I got asked to do a presentation at a seven-day Venice uh, conference in Brisbane. It wasn't my my best ever presentation, just by by way. Um, I was fairly nervous, but it was certainly back in those days. You know what drove um, people's choices? You know to be veg- vegetarianism. I think slightly different. Obviously, with Seven Day of Venice as part of their religion, um, and a lot of the research, you know, up to that point, so that sort of early nineties, was done around uh, Seven Day of Venice group when they were looking at vegetarian versus non-vegetarians and the various health and lifestyle differences that existed. Um, but you, you, you know, it was hard to buy a shirt that said, you know, I'm a vegetarian, and you know, but whereas these days, I, I, I remember. Just only probably in the last 12 months, I saw a couple uh, riding their, their push bikes just in Burley here. And, you know, they had these um, jumpers on, not that you wear jumpers much up here, but it had, mm-hmm. I'm a vegan on it. And I'm like, oh, really? Like, that's nice to know. But I didn't think it needed to be advertised. So I think you're right. I think culturally, though, today, people like defining themselves, you know, in, be it, you know, to a particular diet that they follow or a particular lifestyle that they follow i think you know i think people are much more mindful of that today um in being able to describe themselves clearly as following some sort of denomination um and be it diet or a lifestyle so how common are vegan diets um are there sort of stats on this if you're aware of it and do you feel it's different in athletes compared to the general population? Yeah, I think uh, there was, I think if you're talking Western cultures, um, there was a poll in the US in 2016 and people described themselves as being vegetarian or vegan, about 3% of the population or thereabouts. Um, younger adults was you know, slightly more popular, sort of upwards of about five or six percent, with older adults a little bit lower, um, around two percent. There was a survey done at the 2010 um, uh, Commonwealth Games uh, in New Delhi, and they reported uh, least vegetarian diets. Um, of about seven percent, so it's reasonably reflective of what you see in in uh, general community. There was about in that in that particular study, and that included all, all the Commonwealth nations, and, and they had a reasonably representative group of athletes, like upwards of sort of three to four hundred. Um, about fifteen percent or thereabouts um, of athletes have uh, reported avoiding red meat, and so. Um, so you know you could say that they're pseudo vegetarians, or or perhaps the other way to reframe or refer to those people are fussy meat eaters, perhaps. Um, and so, but yeah, like it's it's not uncommon, but it's not not particularly particularly common. So, from the people that you work with, what are the main reasons they tell you that they've gone plant based? Yeah, I've had a I've had an interesting experience over many years. I do recall um, an endurance athlete still competing. I noticed he had a result the other day in the seventy point three world champs, um, and he was his family was vegetarian uh, from when so he was a long standing vegetarian. So as a young athlete, and I've met a couple of athletes um, 
over the years in triathlon that have been vegetarian uh, because their family were vegetarian. Um, I've also had uh, athletes that have morphed into being vegetarian. And in fact, one female that I've worked with for well over 10 years is vegan now, but was a slow change um, to becoming vegetarian, probably over five or six years. And initially avoided dairy because she had some eczema and then slowly moved towards um, being a lacto-ovo-vegetarian and then decided that she wanted to become vegan. And that particular athlete, my coach, uh, her coach and myself, we were interested to have her explain that. So we actually got her to write like a one-page summary on that process so we could be comfortable that, you know, the reasons for her going down that pathway um, were for, you know, personal reasons that she felt strongly about as opposed to reasons that might perhaps um, allow her to be a bit restrictive with her dietary intake. And so there's certainly a subgroup of athletes that might choose to become vegetarian because it's a way of, you know, being able to restrict their dietary intake and they might perceive animal-based foods as being high energy foods. And so that, that's an easy way for them to, to avoid those foods. And I think there's a couple of other flags that you would, you know, as a practitioner or that you would think about, you know, an athlete describes themselves as vegetarian and you know, they flag across other elements that, you know, then you'd want to try to them to justify, you know, their reasons for being vegetarian. Mm, yep. And what about your own eating? Yeah, like I, I was... In, when I was at uni in the late 80s and early 90s, um, uni was, back in those days, wasn't as expensive as it is now. Um, but I started the first year that you had to pay for your higher education. But there was, there was you know, when you're at uni, there's, you get exposed to a lot of different influences. And um, I sort of noticed that I wasn't eating meat often myself. Um, and we used to have... Uh, the Hari Christianers turn up like once a week at uni and have vegetarian, you know, you could, you could buy a vegetarian lunch. And, and I thought, oh, look, I'll, I'll try, try that. And it was easy for me because I wasn't, I was living on my own and I wasn't cooking much meat. So it sort of became vegetarian back in those days. Um, and was probably vegetarian, well, was vegetarian uh, exclusively for just over 15 years. Um, at different times, I was vegan. And in fact, I, I, Vegan was very difficult. Like I used to travel a lot to Europe annually, and it was in places like France and and um, uh, and Spain, for instance, really difficult to to get vegetarian choices back in the early two thousands. And so I, I would eat more lacto ovo vegetarian, I guess, over a long period of time, and and slowly just introduced a bit of fish, but fish that I knew that could be sourced like locally um, and often that was lined caught. Um, so these days I eat a little bit of fish um, and some seafood, but not all that often. Most of the time at home we follow a vegetarian diet. I don't define myself as anything you know, in particular, um, but yeah, essentially eat a lot of veggies uh, and we also eat a lot of um, Meat alternative, like vegetarian meat alternatives as well. 
And that, that like originally, I think for me, it was because I got exposed to, um, you know, different lifestyles and different ways of eating. And I was interested in performance and health, still am. Um, and then over a period of time, my own beliefs sort of changed as well, like in terms of what my motivations were. And so I've got to a point where, you know, if I had to catch a fish, you know, to eat it, I'm reasonably comfortable with that, um, going through that process, but sort of more uncomfortable if I had to, you know, come up to a cow and slaughter that and then eat it. So, and people, I, I don't, doesn't faze me that other people are comfortable with that or maybe haven't thought about that process, but I guess it's that's sort of been my journey. And individuals that I've worked with, you know, they tend to have their own journeys as to how they've become vegetarian. And occasionally you would see that for religious purposes as well. I don't see that all that often in the sports that I've worked with, but I'm sure that there's other sports where there's a bit more of a mix of ethnic backgrounds that you might see, you know, religious and cultural reasons driving, you know, someone's choice to be vegetarian. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so I guess if we look a little bit more in depth with vegan diets, um, and if someone is following a vegan diet, what are the main nutrients of concern? Yeah, like I think typically, uh, you know, when if someone describes themselves as vegan or vegetarian, the first thing most people say is, oh, I thought you're an athlete. How do you get enough you know, iron, um, you know, to eat in your diet? I guess what, stepping back from iron, um, perhaps the, you know, concern or thing, you know, issues that they need to be mindful of. And this is not too different to other athletes, particularly in endurance-based sports, is total energy to align with daily energy requirements. Plant-based foods traditionally are less concentrated than animal-based foods. So per mouthful, the energy density is a bit lower. So total energy intake can be a challenge uh, in meeting that for vegetarian athletes, particularly that are engaged in high volume endurance sports. Um, protein uh, and fat, particularly uh, N3 fatty acids, um, can be um, a little bit more challenging for a vegan uh, than non, non uh, or than, than people following a mixed diet. Iron, zinc and calcium are often flagged um, as riskier nutrients along with vitamin B12. Um, and also, particularly in vegan um, cohorts, uh, the intake of creatine um, or the substrates that produce creatine and carnosine um, are also reportedly lower in vegetarians than or vegans than, than non-vegetarians. Yep. Mm. And do you see, I guess, athletes or, or people that can kind of rush into that style of eating without actually thinking or, or planning it through and then I guess down the track they find that they have you know sort of they're lacking in energy and they're wondering why yeah I think there's a certain like obviously with uh, the advent of uh, lifestyles let's call them 20 sort of 10 plus lifestyles that have been created and um, or on social media that people, you know, some athletes might make a quick change to their dietary intake. Um, and 
and they may risk those you know, nutrients. I haven't seen a lot in endurance sports um, and at the higher end, I think purely because when you know you're training 20 to 25 hours a week if you do make a quick change um, to your dietary intake without sort of thinking through that you fall short on your you know energy requirements really quickly and so i think like i explained earlier i have seen some athletes over a period of time morph to being vegan vegan certainly if you've got an athlete that has made a quick change or an athlete chooses to you know, make a quick change to vegetarianism, particularly veganism, well then, yeah, I think they would be at risk, um, particularly if they're not doing that in well-educated. And if they're not doing it with a mindset to explore um, different vegetarian alternatives that are available to, to them. So if they do it and think, okay, this is about taking things out of my current intake, without exploring the things that they might need to introduce into their intake, well then I think, you know, that sort of mindset would put the athlete at risk of, you know, of not meeting their nutritional requirements, you know, reasonably quickly. Yeah, yeah. And I guess um, following a, a vegan diet, can people get all they need um, in terms of nutrients by following a vegan diet or do they need to supplement with particular nutrients? Um, I think the, like in terms of meeting the requirements of their sport, particularly if they're an endurance-based athlete, if they're well considered um, in their approach um, and they're well skilled um, and they, they're, well, they're resourced well, well, then I think they can meet their requirements. There has been the, at times where I've had vegan athletes where I've used supplementation with them. Um, and probably one of the things most commonly that I've used is um, uh, creatine, um, particularly um, because um, creatine phosphate stores in vegetarian athletes have been shown to be lower than those in non-vegetarians. And so, and I think if you've got an athlete that's trying to chase gains in lean body mass, even while they're doing endurance sport, or um, well then it's reasonable to implement that, that sort of a supplement. And so, yeah, I've consistently consistently supplemented with that in terms of things like iron and that that would be the go-to supplement that people would think oh if you're vegetarian you need to uh, unless otherwise um suggested through appropriate pathology we wouldn't supplement with iron um, even if an athlete was a vegan so we would make sure that we have an iron screen um, and certainly a vegan athlete you'd want to do that in, they're involved in an endurance sport, you'd want to do that you know, two or three times a year just to make sure that they're meeting their requirements. But you wouldn't supplement just in case. You would do on the back of um, you know, pathology that would suggest that you needed to. And what about um, B12? Uh, it's a good question. I haven't typically supplemented with B12. Uh, I, you know, there's a range of different fortified products, um, particularly the milk alternatives that are fortified with vitamin B12. So if you've got an athlete that's consuming, you know, fortified um, plant-based milks, for instance, well then um, I haven't seen 
an overall requirement. The long-standing vegan athletes that I have worked with, um, they haven't, other than using um, fortified products, they haven't routinely required a, a vitamin B12 uh, intervention at all. There has been perhaps, I think, thinking back, there's probably been one occasion where an athlete may have needed a vitamin B12 injection, but that wasn't because it was, you know, they were vitamin B12 deficient, but their levels were a little lower than, you know, what you might sort of otherwise expect. So, um, but yeah, typically, you know, with fortified products that are available to someone that's eating a, a vegan diet, well then, I think they can meet their vitamin B12 requirements. The the one thing, if you've got a someone following a, a vegan diet or plant-based diet, which however you want to refer to it, and they are avoiding all processed foods, well then, yeah, then you might need to look at that differently. But before you'd be concerned about B12 in that sort of instance, you'd also be concerned about total energy intake as well. Um, and, and then those other components might fall into that as, as well, like iron and calcium. So yeah, I think um, typically you're not supplementing just because you're vegetarian. Um, I think vegan athletes need to be, um, they need to be mindful that they have specific re requirements, um, but you, you wouldn't supplement just in case. You would make sure that the pathology would support that any supplementation that the athlete um, undertook. What about um, when you're a vegan athlete and you're obviously not consuming fish and, you know, there's a lot of promotion about getting in your omega-3s. Um, what can vegan athletes do to kind of get, get you know, some good fatty acids in their diet? Yeah, that's a good, um, a good question. And your body produces some of your long chain um, fatty acids except uh, omega-6s and omega-3s um, and typically you know athletes will consume or vegan athletes will consume higher intakes of omega-6 uh, which may suppress the conversion uh, to omega-3 fatty acids um, and they're, they're important because both um, both of your sort of omega-3 fatty acids are involved in you know inflammatory response immune sort of defense as well as protection of cells and tissues mm. um, it's certainly intakes of omega-3s have been shown to be lower in vegan athletes compared to both lacto ovo and um, omnivore athletes so it is a particular consideration um, and it's difficult to con you know consume um, like sources of omega-3s, you know, in a vegetarian diet, like you mentioned, you know, typically found in oily fish and even lean meats mm -hmm. uh, would contain some omega-3s. So some plant-based um, sources of omega-3s include um, some of your nuts and seeds. So things like uh, walnuts, uh, hemp and chia seeds, um, soybeans and some of their products, as well as their oils, um, do contain um, some amounts of omega-3 fatty acids. Um, there is a thought that you can also buy um, a microalgae um, DHA rich um, like vegetarian supplement if you were if you were concerned. Um, but I think 
you know, for a lacto-ovo or ovo-vegetarian, there'd be no need, perhaps for a vegan, um, if you weren't, you know, consuming nuts and seeds regularly uh, or had an aversion to soy or soy-related products, well, then it might be worth looking at a, at a, at a vegetarian alternative, like okay. supplement. And um, so I guess in, in general, for, for individuals that um, are wanting to follow a vegan diet, where, where would you recommend that they, I guess, that they, they start? Um, and particularly for, for an endurance athlete, if they're thinking for whatever reason they want to they start a vegan diet, um, what would be your top tips in, in helping them make that path, I guess, the best in the best way? I think the first step, um, rather than start focusing on the things that you would start to pull out of your diet, I'd encourage them to start to think about particularly their animal, uh, plant-based animal alternatives that they might introduce to their diet. And so before you, you, know, you make the decision, I'm gonna start pulling things out, maybe start to experiment a bit more broadly um, with the variety of vegetarian options that might be substitutes for those foods that you would need to pull out of your diet. So, you know, things like if you've never eaten tofu or um, tempeh um, or any of the mycoproteins that are available, like corn, for instance, um, or any vegetarian meat analogues that are available, well, it would be the first step would be to start to explore those types of products to see if you even like them. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's easy to pull things out, but if you don't like what's the alternative, well, then you're going to fall short of your, you know, your daily nutrient requirements. I think obviously most people would you know start with legumes, and there's a whole variety of leg- legumes which are. And uh, you know your first sort of, um, and, and they're the most natural, I guess, options as plant-based alternatives or protein plant-based alternatives. Their digestibility of the protein in legumes is lower than their meat alternatives, and also the concentration. You know, so to eat a certain amount of protein through legumes compared to um, a meat alternative, you've got to eat a, a higher volume. So those foods, you know, that they're, they're another food that people need to be comfortable with and not just comfortable in eating but comfortable in preparing and incorporating those foods into some of their favourite dishes that they might otherwise, you know, choose to consume. And so, you know, if you're, you're a spaghetti bolognese person, well then, you know, maybe trying it with some lentils um, while you've got some meat in it and then, you know, switching it out completely for a vegetarian um, bolognese. Other alternatives for things like vegetarian bolognese rather than just using lentils is to use products um, like a, um, a mycoprotein um, or even things like TVP which is textured vegetable protein which has been around forever um, and you many years ago like back in the 80s and 90s sanitarium used to sell it um, and it used to be in the health food area and it was called Vita Burger. It used to come in a little box. And then that actually got phased out of supermarkets. So you could only ever buy it in health food stores and it's been there for forever, like well, for as long as I've 
been around vegetarian circles. Um, and more recently, with the explosion of plant-based eating, it's now back in you know, at the major supermarket chains in Australia. And oddly enough, the supermarket chains, they've got their own brands of those foods now, um, like, and which, you know, back 30 years ago, it was a you know, very small or sanitarium, a reasonably large but vegetarian-based company, which is still around today. So I think the first step would be to explore what's out there, Steph, and, and to expand your eating, because I think what people do forget about a vegetarian diet is that it, it actually expands your eating beyond what what it actually limits your eating. Mm. So you, you might choose to start not eating fish, chicken, and beef, um, but you know you, you're going to have to start eating you know tempeh, tofu, TVP, mycoproteins, lentils, and those foods. Um, you know, can assist an athlete in meeting their daily nutrient re- requirements for both their more for their macros like protein and carbs, as well as their their micronutrients as well. There's been a few studies in the recent in recent couple of years around mycoproteins and the uh, in particular mycoproteins. So a product like that in Australia, for instance, is uh, corn. If you're familiar with that, and what they've shown is that you can get a very similar response to muscle protein synthesis in response to the consumption of a mycoprotein compared to an animal-based protein. Um, the quantity that you consume um, is slightly more to get the similar response, uh, but the energy density is similar. Um, so, well, the energy content, the total energy is similar, but the to get the same amount of protein, you've got to sort of eat more of the product, or to get a similar response, at least you've got to eat more of the product. But yeah, so right, I'd get out there and start exploring what's around um, before they start excluding and, and mm. chopping things out. And I think the safest way to do it is, you know, perhaps rather than you know waking up on a Monday and thinking, right, this is the day, mm. um, no meat, November. Um, you know, they do it a little bit more slowly than that and morph their diet into a plant-only diet. Yep. Yeah, mm. smart. Um, what you're saying about protein there is probably a, a nice segue, Coxie, because we were talking about <coughs> protein with Dan Moore uh, a few weeks ago on the podcast, and we were talking about sort of quantities at individual meals and that sort of recommendation around, well, you know, it translates to about 20 to 30 grams of protein sort of per meal or, or snack, um, you know, three or more times a day and maybe you need a little bit more as you were just saying with the microprotein if it's a, a plant-based source and that um, and then I guess when you start to look at practically how you're going to achieve that and looking at things like legumes you know chickpeas lentils that kind of thing and you, you work out how much of those things you have to eat to get 20 or 30 grams of protein all of a sudden you realize you're going to be eating a hell of a lot of legumes to to get that amount of protein and and then if we assume that, you know, with plant-based, you might even need a little bit more than that, you know, you're eating even more again and then getting an enormous amount of fiber and um, carbohydrate, which may or may not be desirable depending on the scenario. Um, so obviously you mentioned the microprotein there, but any other tips or advice you could give listeners who are, are trying to get more protein in on a plant-based diet, but struggling to work out what they can eat that's, you know, still a reasonable portion size to get that amount of protein? Yeah, I certainly think um, things like tofu uh, and its fermented 
cousin, uh, tempeh, uh, are excellent choices. And per mouthful, they're, they're lower in energy um, than a meat alternative. Um, however, they're reasonably close. Um, and so they're low fiber options. And so, and you can, the variety of those types of foods that you can get these days, or those like the products, I shouldn't say foods, but the products that they're available in is a lot broader now than it was even three or four years ago. They take up a much larger area of the supermarket shelves um, in both the freezer section and also the fridge section. Uh, and you can you can also buy various um, products that are like meat analogs. Um, so, and there's, once again, there's a variety of different brands. Sanitarium have been in that space for many, many years. Um, and they have things like hot dog alternatives and sausages. Uh, most of those are gluten-based options. Um, and so, and then there's a whole range of, you know, different type of veggie and lentil type patties that are available on the markets as well. So being familiar with those types of products, I think is good. Finally, the um, as a history lesson, uh, the vegetarian hot dogs that, that sanitarium, that are sold under sanitarium, they used to be a company called Longer Life and they had a, a their major manufacturing plant was at Yatla which is between the Gold Coast and Brisbane. And when I was a uni student um, on a Friday afternoon, I'd, I'd drive past Yatler and pull into their to their factory. It was a small business at that point. And I would buy all the offcuts for the week, like all the, the vegetarian sausages that weren't quite, quite Sausage-shaped. <laughs> yeah, there were all these deformity sort of shapes. And, you know, I get this massive big bag and I was like, yes, it's unreal. And, um, uh, you know, I can remember when they got bought out and they moved their, their factory and I was, you know, what am I going to do now? I'm a poor uni student. And that was my sort of supply. So those types of foods, they're, you know, they're iron content, different type of iron, but it's uh, similar in, in sort of total iron, like in some of the serves of those types of foods. They're, they're easy to cook with. They can, you know, you can substitute them in for a variety of different foods. And I guess it depends on just the individual's approach. So if they if they want to avoid all processed meat alternatives, one of those sorts of options, they might not, you know, feel that they're a good fit for them. Um, but certainly, you know, first up, you, you need to become familiar with those options. And 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 how they can, those foods can provide a like within a similar volume, you know, an an amount of protein that would meet their requirements, particularly for athletes where you've got high daily energy requirements because you're doing a lot of endurance training, you know, your protein intake is, you know, if, you, if you're actually just meeting your energy requirements, you know, your protein intake is going to be, you know, more than 20 to 30 grams a meal to meet your, you know, daily protein requirements. I guess the one thing that they should be sort of mindful of is, you know, the milk alternatives, the plant-based milk alternatives and which ones are, real milk alternatives and which ones are juices um, mm-hmm. and I say that sort of tongue-in-cheek because there are some that are quite low in protein where others are designed to very much replicate you know the um, the nutritional profile of milk um, both in terms of calcium protein carbohydrate and in fat um, so yeah so I think 
you can be easy, it can be done, but people need to be a bit more adventurous with the choices that they're including. Mm, yep, and I certainly find that's a challenge for people who sort of, you know, the the appeal, I guess, of that plant-based eating is it gets away from kind of processed foods and they're, they're trying to get all their protein from legumes and things like that, then that can be a bit more of a challenge or, um, you know, as Steph and I've talked about previously on the podcast, they end up eating 50 or 60 grams a day of fibre, which... Um, can have side effects that go along with that as well, which is not always um, so pleasant. But yeah, I guess you, you do what you can in that sort of scenario. Um, thinking about, I mean, I, I guess our question, you know, is plant-based better? So thinking about that from a, you know, an, an athlete perspective, uh, we can think about that both from a, a health and a performance point of view. And I guess we're not here to sort of critically analyze, you know, plant-based versus sort of mixed diets in terms of general health. But from an athlete point of view, I guess there's there's some belief out there, I guess, amongst some people that plant-based diets are superior from a performance point of view, which would either suggest that something they're eating more of is helping their performance or something they're eating less of was previously a, a hindrance to performance. Any thoughts about that in terms of where we sit scientifically in that potential? Well, I don't think it's probably a debate amongst us, but it certainly is online. Yeah, like a vegetarian diet on the whole typically has been shown um, in general population and, and active um, to be slightly higher in uh, carbohydrate uh, than their non-vegetarian counterparts. And I think if you're involved in endurance sport, um, you know, it might assist some athletes in meeting their daily carbohydrate needs. Um, also, uh, because of the increase in plant-based foods, it's likely to be higher in um, antioxidants and phytochemicals as well. Um, and there's been some research on a plant-based diet that might suggest that people have a slightly, uh, a, like their serum is more alkaline. Um, so now whether or not, like there's been nothing certainly in studies intervention studies where they've looked at plant-based versus um, an omnivorous diet um, and studies that sort of extend out to sort of three months there's been no net performance change or benefit of one over the other i think certain groups of athletes um, probably would benefit from eating more plant-based but whether or not, you know, then flipping to an exclusively plant-based diet is better, I think we're far from understanding if that is truly the case or not. Uh, the research is not being done, and, and it's actually very difficult to do that style of research when mm. you've got long-standing, you know, people on long-standing dietary interventions. So it's probably one of those questions that I don't think will be ever easily answered. Um, you know, I did watch um, the game changes. I was going to ask you your opinion on that. Yeah, you, you had some individuals that were eating, you know, a T-bone steak that was as big as my right arm um, and, you know, changing to a plant-based diet and saying that they felt better. Well, that in itself is not a massive surprise. Um, <laughs> they might have just been felt better if they had reduced the size of the, the T-bone and had some other foods with it. <laughs> so it was quite extreme. I mean, there was some, you know, some of the, um, you know, science uh, 
people that had on that, they had, I do recall seeing Walter Willett on that. I don't know if you've ever come across that name, but he's the the highest referenced um, uh, like researcher in health. I think he's got a H index of over 200 or something. Um, and so he's been in that game for many years and he's always been an advocate of plant-based eating. And so, you know, I think, yeah, well, like in that particular, that, that were very, you know, very selective in their approach um, in that in that video. I think some of the athlete cohorts that they select, you know, selected that made the change, not surprising that they're feeling different and benefit, you know, better on it. But I don't, I don't think there's clear evidence to suggest, you know, it has to be exclusive plant-based, but, a lot of athletes and certain sports more so than others would benefit from you know eating more plant-based foods yep yep for sure um and, and i guess at this stage i mean apart from eating excessively regardless of what the food is there's probably no suggestion necessarily that anything in a, a mixed diet in terms of animal products would necessarily you know eaten in a you know a, a, an appropriate quantity would necessarily be harmful to aspects of you know performance or recovery or anything like that that we know of yeah i don't think so um and people see it as such a different way of eating our step like and i don't think it it is really like um you know typical people that eat meat um it probably means that they're eating maybe one or two animals that like a vegetarian doesn't eat Hmm. um and and everyone well most people that even if they're eating meat you know, they don't eat everything that's flesh food and there'll be a point in time where they go, actually, I'm not going to eat that. So, you know, in Australia, you know, I think our big sort of animal-based choices are what, chicken and beef. Um, probably lamb would sort of fall in after that and then pork. But you don't see, you see a little bit of kangaroo on the menu in Australia. Um, I don't, I don't ever recall seeing horse in Australia. Um, and if you might ask most Australians, they'd be like, I'm not going to eat, you know, the Melbourne Cup winner anytime soon. Um, whereas in other cultures, you know, like the French, you, you know, you, you know, horse is something that, that is on the menu. But even within those five foods there that I've mentioned that are commonly consumed in Australia, there's some people are comfortable only eating one or two of those. And someone that's vegetarian, um, I guess I didn't say fish, but you know, might not eat any. So the, the difference of what foods or animal-based foods that they eat and they don't eat, you might be one or two foods different from someone that sees themselves as vastly different to you. Mm. And so vegetarianism for me is a continuum and you know, people sit somewhere on that continuum and people are going to be comfortable and have their own um, values and opinions on that. So I think a lot of athletes would benefit more from eating plant-based foods and i guess as a as a whole one of the things that i do see athletes that tend to do they see like plant-based foods let's say vegetables and fruit as meeting a minimum amount so okay i've had some at dinner and then the rest of the time you know the the energy difference that they require is simply met with you know, protein and carb-centric foods. So their intake of fruit and vegetables are quite stagnant. They don't sort of escalate at the same rate, you know, that 
you know, your more carbohydrate and protein-centric foods escalate. And they probably don't need to escalate at the same rate, but they shouldn't also be just seen as a, oh, I've met the daily requirements. They should, like, I think, um, increase somewhat in response to the daily training load as well. And there's been few studies that show that. Um, And so even with athletes that consume high energy intakes, sometimes their fruit and vegetable intakes can be marginal marginal even when you're comparing those to populations of recommendations mm, yep and so it sounds like from what you're saying there it's sort of like well i guess there's that overall concept that we can kind of roughly call diet quality which includes fruit and vegetables and variety of things that we get that gets us all the different nutrients that we need um, the macronutrients your protein carbs your micronutrients your vitamins minerals your fiber etc and I guess you know, improving dietary quality, regardless of whether that excludes animal-based foods or not, is probably the biggest difference in people rather than whether they're quote-unquote plant-based or not. The bigger difference is probably in dietary quality overall, and that can be improved for a lot of people regardless of whether they choose to include or exclude animal-based foods. Yeah, correct. Yeah, and I think, you know, likewise, you can get some people that, that you know, that are plant-based, that their choices you know, don't necessarily align with a healthful dietary intake. Mm. So, um, but, you know, your, your fruit and veggies and probably more correctly spoken vegetables and fruit, you, you know, should be re- somewhat reflective of your overall energy expenditure. Um, you know, because exercise does increase your oxidant load and it would make sense to then consume foods that somewhat reflect the you know higher in antioxidants and you know a lot of your vegetables and fruit um, are high in antioxidants and phytochemicals so there should be some scaling of those foods that was the word that i was looking for with an athlete's overall energy requirements being mindful though that you know you, you can't eat them like too abundantly otherwise your fiber intake will sort of go out of control it's not unusual though in dietary intakes that i would see from athletes that are consuming you know 15 plus thousand kilojoules a day that their fiber intakes you know they fall at 40 to 50 grams anyway just through the sheer volume of food that they're sort of consuming so if if you if you're too aggressive with your plant-based foods and higher fiber say cereals well then that will it will spiral out of control and that has some you know impacts on the availability of nutrients um, and and also the availability of energy to the body as well. Mm. Yep, for sure. Okay, so just to sort of round off the discussion, are there any sort of key nutrition resources that you recommend that um, that might be useful for listeners if they're wanting to follow or if they're already following you know plant based or particularly I guess a vegan diet where um, there might be a bit more organisation required to make sure they cover all those sort of nutrient requirements. Yeah, that's a good point, Al. Um, I think it's worth, you know, there are a few athlete um, groups that are, uh, or athletes that um, that are on the internet that um, yeah, that are endurance sports that um, sort of promote themselves as being a vegetarian athlete. Some some of those uh, have good resources available. I think in each of the the major countries, uh, westernized countries, um, like the US, 
in Australia, Europe, some of the European countries, the UK, you know, their national vegetarian um, groups and bodies often have good resources available. Um, and so, you, you know, athletes that are looking for new products um, or new ways of uh, supplementing their diet, like those types of national bodies are often quite useful and they will have some introductory texts available. You yep. might find that some of the um, leading organisations in sports nutrition will have resources available as well. So the USOC, I know that they've got a vegetarian um, fact sheet. SDA, Sports Dietitians Australia have fact sheet as well. Um, I think it's important to, one thing that I have noticed is that um, when you know, you're in different countries, becoming familiar with your local food sources, so going into the shopping center and spending a bit of time and seeing what's available. And I, I can tell you 100% that's increased like exponentially in the last 10 years, particularly when I've traveled the world, um, you know, just what is available compared to what used to be available. And a lot of the chains even these days have vegetarian alternatives available as well. One of the apps that I always use when I'm overseas and I think this is a great app, um, and I, I, I'm not affiliated with the app at all. Um, it's called Happy Cow, and um, they list uh, uh, restaurants, um, cafes that are vegan, that vegetarian, and that offer vegan and vegetarian meals. And interestingly, what I found with those those particular cafes is that, and, and restaurants, is they often offer um, like athlete friendly type foods as well because they offer a plant-based sort of option mm. and so they tend to be a good resource you know for for them for someone that wouldn't consider themselves vegetarian so and I, i've used that app in all countries in the world like asia europe you know the us south america like all, all over so yeah like it's a great great little app Okay, um, well, I think we might hand it over to Steph now and she could finish off with our bonus round. So to find out a little bit more about you, Greg Cox, if you could do anything besides what you are doing now, what would it be? Well, I think, um, I don't know about now, but if I had an alternate career path, it would have been a professional surfer, I think, yeah. Yeah, I've often, um, yeah, I go by my professional surfing name is Greggles, um, which I'm commonly known around the beach breaks in Palm Beach for. Uh, but yeah, I think if, if I had an alternate um, career path, that would have been it. Yep, yeah. And then you could have gone to the Olympics in surfing now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think I might have been, uh, I don't think I would have been quite in the shape that I needed to be to make the Olympics out. I might have happened to have had occurred 10 or 15 years ago and perhaps the my limiting factor in not pursuing that career was my level of skill yeah <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. um favorite moment from the olympics or paralympics the recent one um i steph um um sorry so steph so i guess jess fox winning her gold medal mm. um in the canoe which was excellent i was there and in 2016 when she won a silver no she won a bronze in 2016 she won silver in 2012 um and she was hot favorite in 2016 so 
and being there live was just unreal and Jess is someone that I have worked with over many years and her mum Miriam who's also an Olympic medalist um, and father uh, Richard so yeah, I thought that was excellent. Um, I also thoroughly enjoyed Dylan Alcott um, in the Paralympics, um, and then going him going on and winning the, the Golden Slam. Um, mm. What a what a superstar of um, international sport! I guess the other little bonuses that I enjoyed uh, was the the surfing. I thought that was great to see, and um, the the skateboard, the extreme sports, the skateboarding particularly park and and also the bmx that that logan martin he um he mm. just ripped it up and, and and they were spectacular um sports to watch as well so yeah not one moment but a few there a few yep mm. and one of the things on your bucket list you are yet to do yeah like um poof. well i wouldn't mind traveling again <laughs> i've been pretty comfortable hanging out in my local postcode 4221 um, but one of the things that I'd like to do down the track I've done a few different activities and events over the world at different times um, there's a, a board paddle um, in Hawaii the Molokai um, board paddle which I wouldn't mind doing as a as a team with my brother um, Ben so that'd be pretty neat so it's 50 or 60 kilometer paddle so wherever ever able to go overseas again um, everyone get vaccinated um, then we might that might be something that we chase it's the hardest thing you've ever done Ooh. Uh, probably the hardest thing I've ever done I think is do a PhD huh, I knew that was coming while your wife um, does a master's and you move in a state have two children go to two olympics it was pretty tough going so um would i would i could it, it you know people often say i'd never change a thing that'd be something that i'd definitely change um but you know got through it um you know extremely well supported by my wife jenny um and the kids very understanding as well but you know you you, you learn from these things and you know, when people ask me about doing theirs, at least I've got that to reflect on and say how not to do it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, do you live by any piece of advice or, or motto? Um, yeah, I've always... I, my dad used to say some things better not said. <laughs> um, and so at times I'll be mindful around that. Um, and my, my dad, he was a great mentor to me and was an endurance athlete himself and was a fantastic um, competitor that I, I got to compete with at different times. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, that and, and also, like, I try to make sure that, you know, whatever I do um, in life is something that I'm happy for others to sort of get engaged with as well. So, um, yeah, like... But yeah, something's been not said. Mm, awesome. Cool. All right, well, that brings us to the end of uh, today's session. So thank you so much, Greg, with uh, all your wisdom and uh, 
information around plant-based diets. Uh, obviously, it's a topic that we cover in a lot more detail and go into the weeds around, you know, iron and calcium and protein and all that kind of stuff in a lot more detail. But um, that's fine. I think it gives everyone a pretty good understanding of, of where things are at and I guess what the considerations might be, if, uh, particularly um, when you sort of add the sports nutrition element in on top of the, um, the, the general dietary pattern. So thanks so much for your time. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Greg. Awesome, awesome. Thank you very much, Greg Cox, for all of that info. Um, Alan, are you able to just share a quick summary with it with our listeners of um, of whether plant based, um, yeah, is better? Mm. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, I guess it depends what you define as better, like better for what. Um, I guess, you know, if we're talking about better for the environment, better from an animal cruelty point of view, certainly there are obviously those aspects of it, which is not what we're getting into here because we're not a um, you know, an ethics of food podcast or a um, environmental impacts of food podcast, that sort of thing. Obviously, they're, they're very legitimate debates and, and well worth having, but um, our focus here is around the performance side of things. Uh, and I guess that's where there's been sort of claims and counterclaims over the years about whether plant-based is better. And I think the the answer from, from Greg was essentially uh, yes and no in that you know, plant-based diets are not necessarily better or worse than, you know, a mixed diet uh, from a performance and recovery point of view. Um, so there's no advantage or disadvantage in following that pattern of eating from that perspective. So it's then a matter of, you know, factoring in those other things like environment and animals and preferences and, and all that kind of stuff to, to make your own decision about what you're comfortable with. And, and that's absolutely fine. Um, I guess within that though, we need to bear in mind that, you know, when you start to exclude some things from your diet, there is a potential risk of, you know, missing out on certain things um, nutritionally. And so it might take a little bit more planning and organization just to make sure we have adequacy for things like protein and calcium and iron and, and these kinds of nutrients. Uh, vitamin B12, obviously a main one for, for vegans. Um, and so not, not to say that you can't achieve those things, just it requires a little bit more thought and, and preparation in the process um, because it won't just come along for the ride necessarily unless you're a bit more specific about what you're doing. Um, I guess, as Greg said, though, and I think this is a, a key thing, is that you know we we tend to think of differences between vegan diets and mixed diets, and you know we we kind of we always look for the differences in things, like why is this pattern of eating different to this pattern of eating, and what are the, the differences? But we don't really often stop to think about what are the similarities or the overlap between different patterns of eating. Uh, and as Greg pointed out, you know, there's, there's more similarities between a mixed diet and a vegan diet than there is differences. Uh, although we tend to amplify and focus on the differences because that's what makes them different uh, and give them different names in, in the first place. But um, I guess overall, you know, that the focus really from a sports performance and recovery point of view is going to be around the dietary quality, regardless of whether you include animal-based sources of food within that or not um, so you know making sure you're having you know the, the right nutrients at the right time in terms of things like carbohydrate around training but also just general um, diet quality in terms of you know fruit and veggies and, and that sort of thing and I think that's maybe a, a topic that we can explore in a future episode around you know why fruit and veggies are important from a, an athlete perspective beyond just general good health um, because there is you know 
some significant emerging evidence around you know the role of fruit and veggies and the things that are in those um, that are beneficial from a performance point of view as well as just a general health perspective but uh, it's kind of a boring message as you know your grandma said eat your veggies but uh, important whether you're you're on a vegan diet or or a mixed diet Mm -hmm. yep yep well said well said um so to i guess to um to, to follow up with this one and to give, um, you know, some more practical um, advice on how, you know, if you, whether you're an athlete and you're, you are following a plant-based diet or you're kind of wanting to go down that, down that pathway, um, then we have a, um, a really good athlete. So I'll, I'll leave you to introduce who we've got. Yeah, so um, next week it'll be episode 22B of the podcast. So obviously same topic, but the athlete perspective. Uh, We've got 800-metre runner Katrina Bissett to join us. Um, So those of you who don't know, Katrina's uh, obviously an 800-metre runner. She's um, the national record holder in Australia for the 800. So as you said, very high-caliber athlete. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she's just got back um, last week, I think, through hotel quarantine, uh, having been obviously over to Tokyo for the Olympics and then over to Europe for the the Diamond League final as well. So, um, yeah, it's great to have also an athlete in a shorter event because we've had a lot of sort Mm -hmm. of marathon runners, ultra-distance runners, um, you know, professional cyclists and 24-hour mountain bikers and this sort of thing Uh, but we haven't had anyone from sort of the the shorter distances of of running or cycling so um oh i mean alistair i guess does track but road as well so yeah great to to get someone um who only spends a couple of minutes at a time competing (laughs) rather than uh yeah several hours competing so yeah it'd be great to get her perspective on 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 a vegan diet because she's you know followed a vegan diet for quite some time and and obviously you know managed uh competitive training and and you know Olympic level competition on a vegan diet. Mm, yeah, yeah, I'm um, excited to to see that one and see if she's got some some good tips for us too. Mm. Um, so, just um, again, uh, if you would like to ask us any questions, please contact us um, via social media, whether that be through Instagram, Facebook, um, or Twitter, uh, and then you can listen to us on all your popular cast platforms and um otherwise we're going to love and leave you all and um see you in episode 22b Mm. awesome we'll see you next week everyone see ya